Election Studio on Cambridge 105 Radio. We are just a week away from when the city and South Cambridgeshire votes in the most important general election in a generation. Eight candidates are standing in Cambridge, three in South Cambridgeshire, and over the next week and a half, we're speaking to them all. On today's show, rebooting democracy's Keith Garrett, also the independent Miles Hurley, who are both standing in Cambridge. It's Keith Garrett's third attempt at winning over the Cambridge public. He's previously stood in 2015 and 2017. Uh, Keith is in the studio now. Good morning, Keith. Uh, good morning. Uh, good to see you again. Thanks, thanks for coming in. Let's go back then to 2015 and what drove you to stand? Um, I heard about a concept called Citizens' Assemblies. Um, I initially stood as a councillor for the Green Party and then I heard about this concept called Citizens' Assemblies and I always felt there was something wrong with democracy as we understand it, uh, electoral democracy. So I read this book called Rebooting Democracy and... Um, then kind of dove into the concept of the original form of democracy, which was random selection, um, and now kind of updated, so you have deliberation, so people sit there and discuss. And this concepts. goes back to ancient Greece, if I it remember does. correctly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, but in ancient Greece, effectively only rich people could, rich men, could um, partake. Um, but obviously, we've expanded that. So, the aim is that you end up, uh, you, you randomly select, but you stratify, so you get a representative sample of the. Um, population, what we call a mini public, um, and then they listen to evidence and then they make the decisions. So it's really the people governing themselves. And the concept just, it get past all the things of incumbent politicians, um, people, the revolving door, because people make a decision and then they move on. And so you get someone else. Um, yeah, this is the sort of thing when I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head now, but you might, one one moment you have one person in as health secretary, the next moment it's somebody else in as health secretary. They may be fantastic person, did a great job in their last portfolio, which was trade or or whatever it happens to be. It's exactly, and there's always this thing they always want to leave their mark. Whereas when you get a group of people together, um, I'm actually this afternoon going to observe citizens assembly, and you just watch it. It's amazing to happen, watch happen. Um, when they get in, they want to leave their mark and they want to say, well, I've done this. Whereas a group of people getting together, they just, in general, just work towards the common good. They sit there, they discuss the issues. They're not shouting and debating like the Houses of Parliament. They sit around small tables with facilitators and they work out the best thing rather than someone going, I need to change everything because I want everyone to know it was me that did this and leave my stamp on history. So you're talking really evolution rather than revolution. Um, yes. And in fact, I was... Um, uh, I, I listened to a program on the BBC on BBC Radio about um, it was called "You're Dead to Me" and it was about the um, the evolution of elections and how they started and there was like just a couple of people who could vote and then a few more and you could see how the whole system hasn't been designed to make good decisions. It's just come out of history and things changing and etc. And then you know um, the women asking for the vote and getting the vote and so it's gradually changed and you've got you know every, now everyone can vote. Mm. Um, 
but we still need to keep that evolution going. Well, there's still pressure, though, isn't there? Because some parties say that the voting age should be lowered from from, from 18 to, to 16, for example. Um, yes, but there's there's also... So I want to take that further because there's a whole issue with voting itself. So you're not with... Um, what well, what do you see which is wrong in, with, with the current voting system? Um, obviously, the first-past-the-post system doesn't allow it to... Um, change as it should. I think we're the only major democracy that actually still uses first-past-the-post. But also when you're voting... Um, Until recently, it did at least um, you know, it, it stopped any... It, you had got a firm result. Um, yes. I can't yeah. really say that sitting here having sort of a third election in, in four, four years, but uh, in, in theory it brought you a firm result. It did, but then it disenfranchised a whole load of people. People who are stuck in, in, a, in, a, in a seat where... Um, it's always going one way. You're like, well, my voice doesn't get heard. So, um, so Conservatives in Cambridge or Labour Party supporters in Surrey, for example. Exactly, yes. Okay. So their voices aren't being heard. So you say, how does this work for them? But also voting itself isn't a, a great way of making a decision um, because you're, you've, you're bombarded with some leaflets. There's whoever's got the most money can give you more leaflets, where instead of sitting down and making an equitable, considered decision, you're voting on what you think might be true and and as we've seen in recent things um sometimes what what people have said has turned out to be lies so here you can sit down and actually make considered decisions over weeks and then you make a decision together as a group maybe you vote on outcomes is it easier within that sort of system to call out people on on lies or people to use an old phrase who are economic with the truth Yes, because you've got time. So you can imagine that, say, in an interview, um, there's this whole thing they're trying to fact-check as you're going, but the sound bites already out there. The, the um, media organisation's already pushing those sound bites out. Whereas here, in, say, citizens' assembly that runs for several weeks, you can come back the next day and go, that doesn't sound right. Maybe we should get someone else to come in and talk about that. Let's check if that fact's right and then go back and consider... So you could co-opt people, in, in a way. I, I suspect you probably won't approve of the House of Lords, but one way that the House of Lords could be used, or and is occasionally used, is to bring in somebody who has an expertise, pop them into the House of Lords, and you can have them as part of the government. Um, yes. So in a, well, in a citizen assembly to get experts and stakeholders in, they come in, give you a, 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 um, evidence, and you listen. But you can then say, well, we want more... We want other people to come in and talk to us. We're not happy with the process, how it is. We want to get other people in. Uh, it's interesting you say about the House of Lords. There have been calls to make the House of Lords a randomly selected body, which would be a start. Um, unfortunately, currently, as I see it, the House of Lords seems to be one of the few things that just has a whole lot of people. You see, you, you see a little bit of it, of, of, of people... And, and there'll be people shouting at the radio right now and say, yeah, but the Conservatives always bring in a whole load of Conservative peers yeah. and Labour do the same. And you know, But there are some people uh, from, from society who, who are brought in who have done, who have done good work. Um, yes, yeah. And it's just having that broad mix of people who also, they're not career politicians. They're not trying to... They don't have to vote the right way to keep their job, as we've seen happens recently. Um... Well, not all of them, as we know. Uh, part of as, as if Boris Johnson was uh, was sitting here, he would probably be saying, "Well, if they'd have voted the right way, we wouldn't uh, be having this election." 
Um, that, he, that he didn't want, apparently. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I, th- I think the whole parliamentary system is actually broken and we need to change the whole thing. Now, I know that the Greater Cambridge Partnership has established a people's assembly of S- sorts. Citizens' assembly. A citizens' assembly. Is it a difference or the, <laughs> oh my maybe goodness, just yes. terminology? Um, oh, we should explain what that difference yeah, might sorry. be. Um, I also work with um, the Extinction Rebellion Citizens' Assembly group. Okay. Um, that's how I got involved in Extinction Rebellion, because they're once whole. Because that is one of the things that they, that said, uh, the uh, Extinction Rebellion group, will, will, call, will call for. Yes. So, quite importantly then, and this is a nice thing about my policies here, I'm not saying anything which is quite hard to answer questions at Hustings. I haven't got personal views on this. I just want the people to make the choice. And the same with Extinction Rebellion, which is why I quite like their third demand. Um, but very early on from the Occupy movement, they had something called a People's Assembly. And the two terms got... And actually, People's Assembly is a nicer term, but that's a, a short thing that happens over maybe an hour or two. And they sit down, it's a self-selected group, where the Citizens' Assembly is something, a much bigger affair. You're going to run it with maybe 50 to 100 people, maybe more, but they're randomly selected. Uh, and they're so, so do you approve of what the Greater Cambridge Partnership was, was trying to do? Surely it's a, a, a step on, on, on the road to kind of what you're talking about. And yes, for the mandate it was given, it's quite interesting because the people, it was Greater Cambridge Partnership, so some people don't like it, but the, for the Greater Cambridge Partnership's goal, it met it perfectly because they instigated it. Some people don't like it because the Greater Cambridge Partnership has got a growth agenda, but the Citizens Assembly was tasked with looking at their problem and they came out and they came out with... I think, sorry, personal view, uh, a good solution. So I think they were like, well, pretty much we need to cut all the pollution, we need to close the roads, we need to have better public transport. And is that sort of thing, I wonder if it's a little bit like when you have an online poll, it tends to be a little bit self-selecting. Was there any, uh, was, are, are you aware, I really should be asking Greater Cambridge Partnership, I guess, this, this question, but was, was it the kind of thing you're talking about where it is cross representational of society or was it uh, who wants to take part in this no, fantastic in your car so um what's what how it happened was um they sent out 10,000 invites um and those people phone in or they go on the web or in some cases if they can't they can just write back in and then they give a description of themselves they give a socioeconomic breakdown themselves um gender etc so it's entirely possible then I I might apply for this and um, meet, you know, all the criteria, and then get a letter. Sorry, Mr. Clover, we've got enough white middle-class people in their early fifties. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly that. So yeah. that you get a breakdown, and the one, so the one in Brent, I'm going to see a bit later, and you can go in there, and it exactly represents Brent. Uh, the, the it's bar. the London Borough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they did the selection, and so it, it's not self-selecting. The, the only slight self-selection is people who are actually going to respond to, to those letters. That's, that's the danger, though, isn't it? So to get a, you know, it's like a jury system. You almost want people who, I'd say, don't want to be on the jury, but you, you, <laughs> want, you want people who wouldn't necessarily put themselves forward, and that's the only way to surely get yes. the, the kind of representation you're talking about. Um, so the advantage, and initially when... Um, because um, we actually went to the GCP and said, we think you should have a citizens' assembly. Um, initially, we hadn't budgeted to pay the people. 
And then briefly, we talked to other citizens' assemblies experts, and they went, you have to pay people. So they're given, I think it was like £300 to attend for four weekends, which isn't a great deal of money to give up your uh, entire weekends. For, I think it's two weekends, four days. Mm. Um, but it then gets you over that barrier a bit more. So, again, it's, it's measures just to, to try and even it out. So see people to go... Some people obviously just thought it was marketing. And, and generally, but, do you regard you know, what what was being done in Cambridge and maybe other projects such as Brenton yeah. and others? Do, do you regard that as being a success, a step on the, the in the right direction? And um, I definitely think the Cambridge one has been a success. The true test, because um, it was done through something called the Innovations in Democracy Grant. So the government had actually championed and said we want to hold eight citizens' assemblies put forward grants of £60,000 um, and we helped GCP apply for um, one of those grants and they they got the grant. But the grant was uh, based on the fact that the council actually take up the, uh, some of the recommendations. So I think we'll hear in March whether they're going to take it up. So the key thing about citizens' assemblies is having, um, is having uh, a kind of mandate so they actually know that what their outcome it's some, they're actually going to do something with it. So people feel empowered to make that decision and feel that their time is actually usefully spent. We said at the start of uh, this interview, which is now draw, drawing to a close, we, we said that you'd stood in three uh, elections, the last three. I'm, I'm wondering what you feel you've... First of all, what you've learnt during that period. Have you learnt anything as a, as a campaigner, somebody who effectively started the fresh in order to... Um, you know, get a particular point because I, I'm assuming, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm assuming that you're standing to wave the flag, for want of a better description, of the idea of the Citizens' Assembly of Sirician rather than really thinking that you could be elected. Um, initially, yes, but the, the positive support I get for the idea when you talk to people about it and they say, I'm unhappy with politics, etc., there is so much more support now. People randomly will have just said, I'm going to vote for you because I think this is a much better system. And I, so my experiences are, is that you've really got to push to get your voice out there because like at the hustings, mm. quite lots of people don't want you to speak. They just want to hear from Labour, Lib Dems and the Greens. Um, but I think the message is getting out there and people are saying, we do need to change. We do need to change how we And do you feel things. you've achieved something? But, you know, I, I don't know if you can claim credit for the, what the Greater Cambridge <laughs> Partnership have done. Are you clearly in, in, in well, involved, involved in that in part? Um, that's probably one of my... I'm quite happy with that. So I call that a kind of success because we did go to them after a failed consultation and say... We did a presentation for them, me and a fr some friends, and said, you need, this is this is a much better way of doing it. And so even before the grant came along, um, we'd written them a proposal, they'd gone through the process, and they were um, thinking about it. And when the grant appeared, went to London, talked to them, and they um, uh, seemed to be happy to go forward with the grant and managed to get the grant. So I do think um, I am helping pushing the cause forward, but I do actually think um, I will get a substantial number of votes now because people um, are beginning to see that it is a much better way of running the system, having people making decisions mm. for themselves, rather than like on the, as we heard on the news reports, people saying, "Well, this is we're going to do this because the planning people have said this." And you're just like, you need to do it because the people have agreed that that's the best way forward mm. for their community. Keith Garrett, thank you very much. Keith Garrett, who is the candidate for rebooting democracy. This is Election Studio from Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm Julian Clover.
Our next interview this morning is with the independent candidate for Cambridge, Miles Hurley. He's lived in Cambridge for 24 years, working originally in the legal profession, but after he was made redundant in 2003, he started a new career as a university lecturer. I spoke to him yesterday afternoon. Miles, welcome to Cambridge 105 Radio. I'd like to ask my first question in two parts, if I may. First of all, why should people vote for an independent, not necessarily yourself, but any independent who happens to be standing across the country? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Julian. Um, In answer to your question, in terms of why people should vote for an independent, I really believe that... Uh, The problem with politics now is that there is far too much concentration on party issues rather than issues which matter to residents of any particular area. Um, With regard to Cambridge, um, both Labour and the Liberal Democrats, who seem to be in the main running, it's really a case of what Labour can offer the country, not what Labour can offer Cambridge, ditto the Liberal Democrats. Which sort of brings me to my next question, really, as to why they should vote for you. Yeah. And then we might broaden out from that afterwards. Well, I think the main problem with uh, the political parties is that all the candidates really are beholden to their leaders. Um, so, you know, Rod Cantrell is answerable to Joe Swinson rather than to the people of Cambridge, ditto. But we saw in the last Parliament MPs for all parties, I guess the Conservatives are the ones who spring to mind because they're the ones who had the whip suspended. They were going off and voting their own thing and they were being thrown out of the parliamentary party and effectively turning themselves into independents. Sure. Um, And not necessarily with the backing of those people who they are uh, elected to represent. Absolutely, but I, I think... Basically, that sort of thing happens so rarely, and, and most of the time, people will toe the party line, particularly because of the whip system. But it takes something as drastic as Brexit to uh, get them to sort of think about defying the party whip, and it's obviously a decision they haven't taken lightly. Mm. Because there's not many independents. I guess Michael Be- uh, Martin Bell, I should Martin say, Bell, yes, is yeah. the one who who springs sure, to mind, sure. ob- obviously, in in recent yeah. history, which was kind of a reaction yes. against the the MP uh, who was yes. precisely yeah. who had, who yeah. had been sitting in the uh, Tatton constituency. I think it was. So tell me a little bit more about yourself and also your politics. So you're a lecturer at the moment. I, I am a lecturer. I've, I've been a lecturer, a law lecturer, for um, about 15 years now. I originally worked in the legal profession, but I got made redundant in 2003 and sort of made a, a sideways shift. And because of that, I mean, one thing I, I've become very interested in is obviously the what happens to students and the deal that students get because when I started in higher education the fees were at £3,000 a year and then obviously post 2010 they went up to 9000 and they're now 9250 and it, it's horrendous seeing young people get into that level of debt and you know I, I think my generation have essentially pulled up the ladder behind them which I, which I find sort of quite appalling. The other thing is I, I did become a, a university and college union rep during my time at uh, my last main employer, and um, that that's an interesting insight into helping people and uh, mm. sort of... 
And, and your politics, where do they stand? If you're a rep, does that put you towards the left, I, or is I it broader would, than that? I would, usually, I would have called myself centre-left. I, I would... Ordin- so if you weren't standing yourself, who would you be voting for in this election? Ordinarily, I would, I would generally sort of favour Liberal Democrats, but I, I, I did vote Labour last time. Um, so... Yeah, it's, it's, it's that sort of very narrow centre-left sort of mm. area. And it's the first time you've stood for public office? It is, mm. yes. So why stand for Westminster as opposed to starting off small, perhaps, and going for the city council or county council, or even as an independent there? Just, I think, go big first time out, basically. <laughs> Now, we're obliged to talk about Brexit a little bit in these interviews. Leave or remain? Uh, Remain. Okay. And let's assume that Parliament is formed Mm -hmm. and you win the seat for Cambridge. Where would you be voting in terms of the direction of travel after Brexit? Personally, um, in, in terms of, you know... It depends what happens and, and who has the, the balance of power and whether uh, you you have a sort of Labour deal and they're, they're looking for a new deal. I, I think a lot of people are sick to death of Brexit and want it done, but I think that, hand on heart, most people look at the deal that's currently on the table and just think, no, 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 no. I find that intriguing, yeah. the, the politicians' answer that, oh, people just want Brexit done, as yeah. if it doesn't actually matter where it goes afterwards. Whatever, you know, I've, be it whether you yeah. want a hard Brexit, a soft Brexit, or, or something in I've, between. I think, it, I think it matters immensely where it goes, and I, I, I would be for the softest of Brexits. And uh, like one well, Mr. Farage originally was, because I think he originally called for a customs union. Um, my my view on that is, with a customs union, well, you might as well stay in because you you have some say. I think, as, as someone who actually lectures in European Union law, um, the two problems with the European Union are that, number one, uh, successive British governments have over-implemented European Union law to the extent that they've made British companies um, uncompetitive. And number two, um, I I really think that people have no idea how the process of of being in the European Union works. I mean, it's confusing enough for... People voting, as has been suggested, people voting maybe almost against the government rather than against Europe because they see their lot as not being as good as, quite frankly, us in the South. Mm. I I mean, I think the the main issue, or one of the main issues, is that a lot of people in the United Kingdom don't really have much of an idea, and not it's not their their fault, it's because they've never been taught, uh, of how our own parliamentary system works. And to expect them to sort of make a decision based on a system that they've no idea about because nobody's ever educated them about it, um, is, is frankly mad. Okay. Um, what other things concern you about the way that either politics or run or policies that you feel could do with a little bit of tweaking... Um, in in terms of politics in general, I think in in this current general election campaign, the the amount of lies we have blatant lies we have seen on both sides. And, and is it the problem of people like me, the interviewers, and other people that are just simply not calling out those lies, or is it is it deeper than that that the lies become entrenched? I think 
I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, certainly there are certain interviewers or certain sections of the media that do not call out certain politicians. Um, I think it's become entrenched. And I find it astounding because, you know, we, we have a, a jury system whereby, you know, if you if you give evidence in front of a jury, you are required to sort of tell the whole truth, you know, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And why we don't sort of hold politicians to that sort of standard. To the extent yeah. of sending them into a court if they are found possibly, to, be, to, so. to be lying, at least... Yeah. To a, a greater extent, sure, something of a sure. material effect. I mean, I, th- I think everyone has always put a sort of a little bit of a spin on everything, and, and, and that's fine. But there's a point where it's an absolute blatant out-and-out lie, which people will come back to on Twitter and go, well, or Facebook or whatever social media, and go, no, you're absolutely incorrect, that's a lie. Mm. Um, but it seems to carry on anyway, doesn't it, really, yes, at, yeah. at, at times, no matter, no matter what the responses. Issues like, for example, uh, transport, which sure. is a serious issue yes. around around Cambridge. Yeah. You see in the manifestos, HS2 being being yeah. cancelled by, by parties of all directions, mm. it seems. But looking locally at the transport infrastructure, what's um, what's to be fixed? I think, I think the main issue I have with a lot of the transport schemes is that they will cost millions and take a very long time to implement. So what can be done quickly, cheaply, effectively, obviously as a stopgap, I mean, by, by all means, build a metro system, but in the meantime, what are you going to do? So I, I'm, I'm very pro things like um, high occupancy vehicle lanes. Um, certainly some of the bus lanes could be given over to higher occupancy vehicles. So St Cambridge going down, for mm. uh, sake of argument, Newmarket Road sure. towards towards yeah. the Tesco, which is a, yeah. a bus lane, an enforced bus lane. I, yeah. I know if you've personal experience that that's... You've been Cambridge, that, have you? I have. <laughs> uh, that that's, that that's, that's the case. Would yeah. you say, I don't know, if I was driving a minibus on a school sports trip, would you let think, me down I there? Think that would, I think that would be, you know, acceptable. I mean, certainly with taxis, you allow taxis into bus lanes presumably on the basis that they're high-occupancy vehicles. Uh, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not the only solution, but it's a partial solution which might help in the short term mm. whilst something else better comes along. And broadening that out perhaps a little bit in terms of the environment, where do you, where do you stand on... Well, take a look maybe at Extinction Rebellion. Sure. You know, not everybody necessarily agrees with their... Their means, but the the aims were, were certainly seems to have a resonance. I, I think the I think the aims are indeed noble. Um, I think they do protest more than come up with particular solutions. Um, I I've not. I mean, again, this may be because I've not seen it in the media or it's not been reported in the media. I have no idea what their actual proposals are. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, what could you do? Give you, you a proposal with the chance to. I don't know, be that reduce fossil fuels or what? What? What would be your your action? So, well, the the thing is, I mean, I, I've seen people say, "Oh, you know, everybody should buy electric cars," and I think there are some areas of the city of Cambridge which are in quite a lot of deprivation and poverty, and you can't expect people just to fork out ten to twenty thousand pounds on on an electric car. So, I mean, certainly, buses would be good. You know, a, a much improved bus service, and certainly electrifying as many buses as possible. I think if you could possibly put 
some form of trolley bus along the um, guided busway. Mm. That that would be good. I, um, I think that any sort of, certainly, I, I know that Cambridge City Council has got some electric vehicles. Uh, I don't know what their sort of plan is to move everything over to electric, or, but that that's a step in the right direction. But I, I went to um, I went to a wedding in, in Paris about 16 years ago. I got there by train. I, I hasten to add, and we were just stood outside the the town hall waiting for the wedding party to arrive, and there was a full size refuse lorry, electric, and that's 16 years ago. In pa- we are so far behind. So in in terms of um, companies and businesses in Cambridge or the council or the, or the county council in terms of them investing in their vehicle stock and making that electric I think they should certainly lead by example bus companies too so as we speak uh, we are about I suppose about two thirds of our way through the election campaign just a week or so sure. to go what, what's uh, have you found the experience so far um, interesting frustrating at times um, mainly because the ability to get to some hustings has been very much frustrated because I don't think that the people hosting the hustings uh, expected there to be eight candidates on the ballot paper. So a lot of people have said, oh, you know, sorry, but you can't come because we have issues with time and, and, and space. Um, but I, I think that's a shame. And I, I, I think it's more sort of cock up than conspiracy. Mm. But I, I think the ability, I think all candidates should have as much of a ability to sort of put their point across. I'm wondering as well, when you do the knocking on people's sure. doors to, to introduce yourself, yes. do you, I wonder, get a different reaction to what somebody who is standing for one of the major parties would get? Uh, I think people are generally quite astounded that someone should be mad enough to stand as an independent. Yeah. Um, I've heard some very encouraging noises. Um, they seem to think that it's a good idea that... Uh, it breaks the mould from the traditional free party politics somewhat. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have heard some encouraging things. Fingers crossed they actually vote for me, but uh, I don't know. Well, we shall find out about yeah. that on December the 12th. Miles Hurley, thank you very much for speaking thank to you, us. Thank you, Julian. And there are eight candidates in full standing in Cambridge. Jeremy Caddick for the Green Party, Rod Cantrell for the Liberal Democrats, Peter Dorr for the Brexit Party, Keith Garrett, who you heard from earlier in the programme, Rebooting Democracy, Miles Hurley, the interview you've just heard, who's the Independent, Russell Perrin for the Conservatives, Jane Robbins for the Social Democratic Party, and Daniel Zeichner for Labour. It's Labour, which is our focus on the programme tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be speaking to the candidate uh, for Labour in South Cambridgeshire. Uh, that's Dan Grief. Hope you can join me for that at nine o'clock uh, tomorrow morning, right after uh, Cambridge breakfast. Coming up at one o'clock this afternoon is Neil Whiteside. Next, though, it's Susie Thorpe. Cambridge 105 Radio.